Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Students, how you doing? (laughs) Yes, we uh, had an amazing week at camp. Uh, God did some amazing things. I can't wait to share with you a little bit later about that. Um, If if you're new to our church, if you're a guest today, uh, we started the tradition a year ago when uh, we go away to student camp for a week. Uh, The week we leave and the week we come back, uh, we invite uh, students who graduated from our ministry, uh, who have felt called into full-time ministry, they come back and they, they, they preach on the weekend. We did it last year and had such a great time. We asked them to come back again this year. Uh, Davis Goodrow spoke last week and, uh, the young man you're going to hear from today, I, I was happy to be in the 930. He just, he just killed it. And so, um, I'm glad you're here. You're going to love it. And, and as, as the church, um, as Wellspring Church, it's, it's really important to me that you see the value of your investment. Um, the time, uh, the dollars, the energy that we put into loving children, students, that generation, and what God is doing uh, in them. It's, it's all because of the church uh, that you've created. And so thank you for that. Thank you for being part of it. And uh, I want to get straight to it because this message is so great. I can't wait to hear it again. So uh, help me welcome my buddy, my dude, Campbell Sims, to the stage. Amen. Good morning, Wall Street Church. How are we doing? Damn, fam. That was a little weak. I'm not going to lie. I think uh, I may just go home or I'm kind of hungry. Maybe go to Cracker Barrel. That sounds pretty good. Um, let me try one more time. Good morning, Wall Street Church. How are we doing? Really, I just needed time to get my iPad open. Um, it's a little teaching hack. Um, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Campbell. Um, you can call me whatever you want. You can call me Campbell. You can call me Soup. You can call me Chicken Noodle. You can call me, um, honestly, really anything, and I'll respond to it. Uh, kind of like Pastor Trey said, I grew up coming to Wellspring, which is a huge blessing. I mean, I would not be doing what I am today if it weren't for Wellspring. And so I'm just so thankful for this church, so thankful for the leaders that uh, pour into everything that y'all do. So thankful for Pastor Trey, Danny, for Eric. I mean, Eric's been instrumental in my life, and he dodged me the last gathering, and now I see him, so I'm going to tell him. But I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without you, and I want you to know that. Like, I am so thankful for you. And, like, yeah, we can cheer for Eric. I mean, like... The man never asked for attention. He actually hates attention, and yet he's had an impact on so many people's lives. I mean, Davis is going to freaking San Diego. Like, your reach reaches across the country, and I want to say that I'm thankful for you, and I wouldn't be the same if it weren't for you. So I'm excited to be here today. Um, Was anybody here last year when I spoke? Anybody remember? Sweet. I'm so sorry that you were here for that. Um, I honestly, and this is the truth, I'm not just trying to be like fake humble here, I would rather go to Broadway at the beach for three hours than listen to me talk for 30 minutes. Um, (laughs) That's just kind of how it is. Um, But I am really happy to be here today. I'm with my amazing mom and my brother, and I'm not married um, like Davis is. He's still older than me. He's got a mortgage and everything. I'm not anywhere close to that. But me and my girlfriend did celebrate one year anniversary yesterday. So (laughs) praise God for that. I'm still not sure why she dates me, to be quite honest with y'all. Um, I have a couple of different theories. Um, I think one of them, well, first off, um, I'm not like one of those guys that's going to act like fake humble or anything. Like, I realize, like, I'm like, I'm like decently attractive. Like, I'm probably a six, right? Like, in the grand scheme of things, one in ten, I'm probably a six. And that's okay. Like, I've come to terms with that. 
And I'm happy with that and praise God for that. Um, and Gabby obviously is like the most gorgeous girl in the world. And so like when people see us together, you know, they're like, ah, why is she with him? That's interesting. And he's either, he either number one, has a lot of money or number two is hilarious. And I like to think I'm pretty funny. So hopefully it's that one because I definitely don't have a lot of money. Um, I will show you on my bank account. It is depressing. Um, really have to be with y'all today. Um, I think it's interesting because last year, if y'all were here, I kind of started out with a joke and it was really funny and lighthearted. And this is going to be a little bit different. I really feel like God has put something on my heart and I'm really excited for this. And so I'm going to give y'all kind of the main point of my message now. Um, but under the caveat that you promise you're not going to leave or tune me out because I've already given you what I'm going to preach about. Can we please agree to that? Because that made me really sad if y'all aren't paying attention to me while I'm up here. Um, I don't know, just because I won't be able to continue. So can we, are you all cool with that? If I give you the main point, we're good. Nobody's going to walk out and leave. Okay, great. Um, so my main point today, kind of the idea I want to come around, is that God is not done with you yet. And so as we get going, um, I want to encourage y'all. I know this isn't really the norm for a Sunday, but if you want to talk back, please do. Because if you don't talk back, I'm going to preach for longer. And so unless you want to be here for three hours, please talk back to me. So if you think something's good, say it's good. Um, if you want to throw something, throw something. Um, Honestly, really, whatever y'all are down for, I'm down for. Just the more feedback I get, the better I preach, and the faster we get this done so y'all can go home. Um, so I just kind of want to encourage y'all with that. Um, so uh, a story I kind of think about often, and one that I feel like relates to, to what I want to talk about today, is one time there was a couple, and this couple, they were married, been married for a little bit, and decided that they wanted to have kids. Um, they decided they want to have kids. They were trying, so they tried for days, weeks, months, years, and no matter what they do, they couldn't have a kid. They couldn't get pregnant. And so they make the tough decision. They're like, ah, oh, maybe, you know, like a biological pregnancy isn't for us, but, you know, maybe we can adopt or something like that, like help out a kid. That'd be great. And so they decide they want to go into this uh, kind of adoption world, which is a tough world, a lot going on. It can be um, really frustrating at times. And they really didn't have any leads until they made a relationship with this doctor and they get a call from the doctor one day. And the doctor's like, hey, like I have this woman who's pregnant and she doesn't really want to keep the baby, but she wants to have it and hopefully put it up for adoption. And I thought immediately of y'all, and I thought y'all would be a great fit. And so the, this couple decides, yeah, like, I think that would be awesome. Like, we're more than willing to, you know, do this. I think this is really exciting. And so they go and they meet the mom, and the mom's 16. Mom's 16 years old, living severely under the poverty line, sleeps on the floor every night. Pregnant, 16, sleeps on the floor every night. Disaster situation. And so this family is like, oh, my gosh, we have to help them out. And so they decide they're going to adopt um, this uh, woman's going to have a daughter. They adopt, decide they're going to adopt the daughter. They go through the process. They start investing into the woman, giving her um, a place to stay, you know, providing a bed and stuff so she can be comfortable. And finally, the baby's born. Praise God. Baby's born. Uh, this couple is the first person to hold the baby. And they're like, fall in love immediately. They're like, this is our little girl. Like, finally, we have what we wanted. They go home that night, expecting to go back the next day and pick the baby up and they're like, okay, great. Like, this is our new life. How exciting. So they wake up that next morning, and they get a phone call from the doctor. And they think that it's just going to be like an update on the hours that day maybe. Like, oh, maybe the doctors are going to only be there a certain amount of time or whatever. So they pick up the phone, and the doctor's like, hey, um, I don't really know how to tell this to y'all, but the mom saw her daughter and decided to keep her, and there's nothing I can really do about that. And just like that, they're back to square one. No daughter, no kid, anything like that. And the parents are left thinking, is God done with me? Like, is this it? Are we just not meant to have kids? Like, maybe that's not something that we're supposed to do. Like, what is God doing in all of this? 
And so today I want to talk about somebody who, in the Bible, who went through something sort of similar and also thought that God was done with him. Um, I know we talk about Paul a lot here at Wellspring, so I'm not going to talk about Paul. Um, I'm going to talk about Peter. And Peter is awesome. He's got a really interesting story, and I actually think he's relatable to us. So Peter, he grew up, normal guy, no special training, and he grew up, and he's a fisherman. That's his job. He, he fishes. He provides food for people. Um, but because he was a fisherman, he wasn't educated. He wasn't educated, wasn't trained in anything. So literally nothing special about Peter. He's just blue collar, working hard, does his job. That's it. The first time we see Peter in the Bible, um, I'm going to be kind of camping out in the book of Luke, which Luke is a really interesting book because it was written by somebody named Luke, which is funny that they name it after themselves. Um, but Luke was also written, or the same person who wrote Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so they were actually meant to be read together as one big letter. Um, Luke was writing it to the same person to, to describe everything that had happened with Jesus and then what happened with the early church after Jesus. And so it's interesting. You can actually read them together as one letter. That's free. You don't have to pay for that. Um, and so we can read them together as one. So that's important to remember. And so in the book of Luke, we see Jesus um, or we see a Peter. He's fishing and he sees Jesus come up to him and Jesus is teaching a crowd. And he's like, hey. Peter has a boat. If I get on the boat, I can speak, and then the water will project the noise, and it will be better. So he asked Peter, he's like, hey, Peter, um, like, let me use your boat so I can teach. And so Peter's like, he's dejected. He's been fishing all night, hasn't caught anything, so he's bad at his job, which is kind of embarrassing because he's a fisherman and can't catch fish. Um, but he lets Jesus onto his boat. Jesus standing at the front of the boat, gives this great talk, and then afterward, Jesus looks at Peter, and he's like, hey, toss your net onto the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you're a carpenter. You make things out of wood. You don't know anything about fish. Why would I listen to you? But I think he was just so dejected and honestly so like, man, I'm over this. That he's like, fine, whatever. I'll throw it over and see if we catch something. Throw the net over the boat. They catch so many fish that the net starts to break, like hundreds of fish. They have to invite their friends over to come get the net out of the water. And Jesus turns around and looks at them after this. He looks at Peter, and he's like, come follow me. I will teach you to fish for men. Why is this significant? It's significant because back in that day, so Jesus was a rabbi or teacher, and the way people would learn is they would come and come under a rabbi and basically do everything with them. They'd follow them all over the country, all over the world, just learning from them in that way. And rabbis would never ask somebody to follow them unless they were educated. And Peter wasn't educated, right? So the fact that Jesus would ask Peter, a fisherman who is not educated, to follow him is interesting. And it's important because I think it makes it more relatable, right, that Jesus didn't necessarily use people who had it all together because I know I don't have it all together. He used people who were just normal, and I find that really encouraging. And so what happens next? We see that Peter kind of has this, like, roller coaster of time with Jesus. Like, it's pretty turbulent. It's pretty interesting. We see that quickly Peter becomes a favorite of Jesus. The way it worked is Jesus had like his 12 disciples who then obviously there were people who followed him outside of that. But the 12 disciples and within the 12 disciples, they had an inner group of about two to three. And within this inner group of two to three, there was like Peter, John was in there. And this was Jesus's core group who he would sometimes pull out of the larger 12 to come teach with him. And so Peter was a part of that core group. So he was somebody that Jesus obviously really believed in. And so what we see is actually Peter kind of he does something really good and then he fails. Then he does something really good, and then he fails. And I find that really relatable. We see that he gets a chance to walk on water, and he's actually walking on water. The only person we know to walk on water other than Jesus is Peter. And he's walking on water, and he's looking at Jesus, and then all of a sudden he gets worried about everything around him, and he falls. And then right after that, um, we see Jesus, like, scorn him. And he's like, 
you have little faith. Why would you do that? So he did something really good, then does something really bad. And then we see Peter answer a question, well, Jesus is really impressed. And Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, surely, Peter, you are the rock in which I will build my church on. So he hears Jesus tell him, hey, like you're going to be a cornerstone of the church. And then shortly after, Peter does something bad and Jesus calls him Satan. Imagine Jesus telling you you're going to build the church and be the cornerstone of his entire movement, and then he calls you Satan. Like, that's pretty polar opposites, right? It's pretty, like, jarring. And so I find that really relatable because I found in my life I tend to do things well sometimes, and then I do something really bad. And tend to do something really well, and then do something really bad. So I find a lot of um, connection with Peter. And so what I want to talk about today is something that happened toward the end of Jesus's ministry, and it's called the Last Supper, right? We all kind of know the story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've seen the paintings, you've seen, um, kind of heard the story. And so basically what's happening is Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. And so he says he wants to have dinner with his 12 disciples. So they have dinner, and they're eating dinner, and just randomly Jesus goes, um, you know, tonight's the night I'm going to die. Surely one of you is going to betray me. And Peter of course, Peter's kind of the guy who just always gets fired up. Like, anybody have a friend like that that's just, like, always on 12? You know, he's, like, always, like, ah, like, always super, like, ready to go. And so Peter's, like, no, I'm not. He's, I'm not going to betray you. And Peter looks at him, and he's, like, surely, you know, by the time the rooster crows and everything, you would deny me three times. And Peter goes, nah, that's insane, dude. That's not going to happen. I promise you I'm not going to do that. I know myself. Jesus, I will go to prison and even death with you. And so the people come to arrest Jesus, and Peter, also being the guy that's like, ah, he chops a guy's ear off, like, as they're coming, and again, gets scolded by Jesus, and is like, hey, we're not supposed to do that. But it's interesting, right, because they were coming to take Jesus to jail. Peter said he was going to, he was willing to go to jail with Jesus, but he tried to keep Jesus from going to jail. Does that make sense? It's confusing. It's like, why did you say that if you didn't actually mean it? And so, again, relatable. I feel like sometimes we want to follow Jesus because it seems easy, right? And we, like, say we follow Jesus, but then once it comes to actually following Jesus, we're like, ah, but it's going to cost us that? Ah, I don't know if I really want to do that. And so we don't really hear from Peter again. He's not at the, he's not at the crucifixion. He's not there when Jesus dies. And again, this is one of Jesus' best friends, and he's not there at the moment he dies. And we're left wondering, where is Peter? We only hear a brief mention of him in the book of Luke where um, somebody is talking and reporting of where Jesus went and who he appeared to after he resurrected. And just a brief mention, he's like, and he also appeared to Peter. But we don't have any other, like, many, any, anything else. We don't know any other information about the interaction. Peter kept that solely to himself. So we don't really know what happens, happens in that interaction. And so we don't hear from Peter until Acts 1, right? Because I mentioned that Luke and Acts are written together, so you read them together and it makes sense. So you don't hear from him at all in the book of Luke until Acts, which is, again, just think of it as like Luke 2 or Luke 2.0 or something like that. And we hear from him in Acts 1, and what's happening? The church is gathering together. We see it's kind of starting to form a structure. And who's leading it? Peter. What was Peter doing last time we saw him? Wasn't even at the resurrection. When Jesus did resurrect and he heard about it, he ran to the tomb, looks inside the tomb. Surely he thinks Jesus rose, right? The Bible says Peter wondered what had happened. He didn't even believe Jesus rose. How does that happen? The first person to preach the, the first sermon ever, 2,000 people are saved. Who preaches it? Peter. How did that happen? How does somebody go from doubting the resurrection to preaching the first ever sermon and 2,000 people are saved? We only see this interaction that I believe is the key to it 
in the book of John. And it makes sense because John was actually at this interaction, and so he wrote about it. It's in John chapter 21. What's happening? Well, the same exact thing that's happening when Peter met Jesus. He's fishing. Isn't that interesting? He spends three years following Jesus. Feels like he makes a mistake. And what does he run back to? What he was doing before he met Jesus. How many of us do that? We say we're going to follow Jesus. We make a mistake because we're going to make mistakes. And we run back to that thing that we clung to before Jesus. It's interesting, right? And so we see this interaction of the same exact things happening. He's fishing. Again, he's a really bad fisherman, and so he doesn't catch anything. And we see this interaction of he sees this guy on the shore, and the guy goes, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And surely just then, like, he would understand that, right? But again, Peter doesn't. And he throws the net. It's only once they catch the fish that he's like, that's Jesus. That's the Lord. Cleans everything, throws off everything, swims into the water, swims all the way to Jesus. And Jesus has this meal prepared for him, which, hey, praise God that we're going to eat in heaven, right? Come on. I can get an amen for that. And then as this meal prepared for him, they're eating breakfast. And we see this interaction that I kind of want to highlight. And it's in John 21, starts at verse 15. I'll read it for us. Y'all with me? We tracking? Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I don't know about y'all, but one of my pet peeves is when somebody asks me the same question three times in a row. I'm like, I answered your question. Please stop asking me that. You know, it gets kind of annoying. And it's funny that we see Peter get annoyed because he's like getting annoyed with like the son of God. But why do I bring this up? Why do I find this interesting? Let's look at the language he uses. So we see in verse 15, what does he say? Feed my lambs, right? Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Interesting. Verse 17, feed my sheep. What kind of language is that? Shepherd language, right? Why would Jesus use shepherd language? Peter's a fisherman. Peter doesn't know how to shepherd. That's not his job. Why is he using shepherd languages? Well, when was one of the only other kind of famous times that Jesus used shepherd language? The parable of the 99, right? We all know the story. If you don't, I'll explain it. Jesus is preaching. He used to use stories to kind of illustrate what would happen in the kingdom of God. And he goes, the kingdom of God is like this. He goes, a shepherd has 100 sheep. He's looking after them. He cares for them. And at night, he starts to count them to make sure they're all there. And as he counts, he notices one is missing. And I know for me, if I have 99 things, like I'm not concerned about the one, right? I'm like, I already have 99. I don't need to go out of my way for the one. What if I lose the 99? But that's not what the shepherd does. The shepherd sees he's missing the one, leaves the 99 to go chase the one. Why is that important? What is Jesus doing here? He's going after Peter. He's going after the one. Jesus doesn't have to. He's got disciples that believe he resurrected. 
He's got disciples in Jerusalem that are 100% bought in with him. He's got John, who is so obsessed with like him looking like a good disciple, he writes himself as the one who Jesus loves. He has disciples. He doesn't need Peter. He can do anything he wants to do through Peter, through someone else who actually believes and trusts in him. But he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus is a shepherd who walks what he talks. He did this to demonstrate that he actually physically leaves the, one, leaves the 99 to go after the one. Why is that important? It's important because it shows that God is really not done with you yet. God was not done with Peter. He was never done with Peter. He knew Peter was going to betray him before he even called Peter, and yet he called him anyway. God already knows what your failures are going to be, and yet he calls you anyway. Isn't that wild? That's unlike any other love that we have. We see that Jesus not only calls Peter back into the, into the 99, but he also restores Peter. He tells Peter to lead. He tells Peter to go do other things. Because our God is one who restores and wants to see us, wants to restore what has been lost. I know you may be a little confused why I kind of told that story at the beginning because it, it can be tough. Um, that story I told of the, of the couple, um, that couple was my parents. A few weeks after they lost the adoption, my mom gets sick. She decides to take a pregnancy test. Through years of trying, failed adoption, she's pregnant. Praise God, right? And not only that, it gets crazier. She goes, healthy pregnancy, everything goes well. They go, she goes into labor. I was born a little early, and they realize I'm sideways. And so they could do one of two things. They could turn me, or they could do a C-section. And so they decide, the doctor, for whatever reason, decided that, hey, it might be too painful to the mom to turn her, so I'm just going to do a C-section. As they do the C-section, they're shocked because they realize my umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. If they had turned me, I wouldn't be on the stage right now. How wild is that? That God saw me and orchestrated that to happen. So why do I tell this story? Because it is grace that that happened. I didn't deserve that, I didn't earn that. It is grace that my mom was pregnant after years of trying. It is because of grace that I was able to grow up and live a healthy life and have no medical complications. It is grace that I was saved because my mom made me go to some random youth trip when we weren't in church. I, it is because of grace that when I moved to Myrtle Beach and had no friends that I found Wellspring. And it is because of grace that Eric was crazy enough to give me responsibility and I realized that I like ministry and then it launched me into my career. It, realized, it is because of grace that I got into a school I should have never got into. It was because of grace that I was able to learn from two of the most amazing churches in America. It is because of grace that I had a connection at that church that got me a job in my current church that is also one of the most influential churches in America. It is by grace that I am on this stage right now. My life is grace. And friend, your life is grace too. Whether or not you realize that, I realize we've all been through hard things. I'm not sitting up here and trying to not be empathetic towards that. I understand I don't know what you're going through, but I can promise you this. Your life 
is defined by grace. Jesus didn't just want to call Peter back. That wasn't good enough for him. What else did he do? He restored Peter. He said, Peter, I know you've messed up. I already knew you were going to mess up. That doesn't matter to me. My perfection is made perfect through your weakness, right? My power is made perfect through your weakness. And so he uses Peter to go and become the catalyst for the Jewish people knowing who Jesus is. He could have used anybody. He could have used like the most famous teacher. Like that's what I would have done, but that's not what God does. And so what I want you to know today is it's not just good enough for God to call you home. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore what's been lost. He wants to restore what's been taken from you. He wants to restore all bad things and make them good. And I realize, trust me, I realize I can't promise you that you're going to be healed from that diagnosis. I, I can't. And I, would, I wouldn't. I can't promise you that your family is going to be restored. I, I can't. I can't promise you. I can't promise you that your life is going to be what you want it to look like. I can't promise you that. But what I can promise you is I've read the back of the book. I know that if you know Jesus, that we've already won. Sin's been forgiven. And I know that one day all things will be made right. And I know that one day what has been taken, what has been destroyed, will be fully restored in the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, y'all can clap for that. I gave you permission. So how do we practically do this, right? What does this look like? We need to live a life defined by grace. And what that looks like is number one, you need to give grace to yourself. That's tough. Trust me, I know. I make mistakes. I've hurt people. I'm still living in some of that. But you got to give grace to yourself. If God can give you grace, you can give yourself some grace. And it's only once you give yourself grace that you can love other people. It's only once you give yourself grace that you can step into everything God has for you. And so what that looks like practically, that looks like, number one, if you don't know Jesus, accepting Jesus into your heart, going to the blue room and talking about that. It goes to number two, like reading Jesus and like accept or reading the Bible and accepting God's love for you and accepting other people's love for you. And the second thing we can practically do is give grace to others. This one might be even more difficult, especially when they're crazy tourists who don't know how to drive. It's true. This is tough, but it's also necessary. Some of y'all need to go send a text after this. Some of y'all need to make a phone call. Some of y'all need to tell your spouse you forgive them. Some of y'all need to tell your kids you forgive them. It's only once we give grace to ourselves and grace to others that we can really feel the weight that God has not done with us yet. And that's what I want to encourage y'all with. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come learn about you unashamed and not having to meet in private. Father, we ask that you would bless us as we go about and trying to learn more about you, to help us acknowledge that you are not done with us yet and to help us live in the strength and the beauty that that is. We thank you for Wellspring Church. Thank you for everything you're doing. We pray this in your name. Amen.